which means like basically if you're just doing the distribution thing, like you're writing SEO blog posts and they're just like keyword stuffed and like very purposed for the distribution channel of search, that's going to fail on its own if the content's not great. And if you're creating great content, right, that's like well-researched and like well-written, that on its own doesn't do well if you're not thinking about the distribution channel and like purpose building it for that. So we've come back to really designing content for specific distribution channels that we believe are high potential for you and underutilized in order to be able to deliver those outcomes or have a, you know, a high ROI engagement. Hi, and welcome to the Optimize Podcast. My name is Nate Matherson, and I am your host. On this weekly podcast, we sit down with some of the smartest minds in content marketing and SEO. Our goal is to give you perspective and insights on what's moving the needle in organic search. Today, I'm thrilled to sit down with Ty Magnan. Ty is the CEO at Animals, a well-known content marketing agency focused on delivering growth outcomes for SaaS businesses. Ty and the team at Animals have worked with some legendary brands, including the likes of Airtable, Amplitude, Intercom, ProfitWell, Wistia, and many anymore. In our episode today, Ty and I talk about the latest at Animals, including the changes he is making since taking over as CEO. We then go on to discuss a few of my favorite topics, including creating fantastic content, AI-generated content, and how Ty's perspective has changed, as well as demonstrating ROI as a content marketer, SGE, and a few other topics. And this episode of the Optimize Podcast is brought to you by Positional. If you don't know by now, my name's Nate and I'm one of the co-founders of Positional. And I'm really excited to announce that we just launched our content analytics tool set. This has very quickly become my favorite feature. It's one that I've wanted for the last 10 years. And it's really effective in identifying which pages on your site users might be having a low quality experience on. What we do is we track metrics like scroll depth, bounce rate, and time on page to score your pages and then allow you to go deeper to see where within a piece of content, for example, which paragraph is causing people to leave or where, for example, you might want to add a call to action within that page. This tool set is called Content Analytics. It's our newest feature. I'm stoked about it and you should be too. Ty, thank you so much for coming on the Optimize podcast. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So how did you get into the world of content marketing and SEO? Well, how far do you want to take it back, right? I want to go back to that first moment when you fell in love with the channel and then everything after that. I got to go back further, Nate. I think uh, I studied poetry and film in college, okay? So when I came out of you know, university, I was uh, doing freelance video for a bunch of different companies. Some of those were tech startups in Boston and kind of fell in love with the space. We was thinking, oh, this entrepreneurship thing is pretty cool. The way these businesses are, you know, culturally organized is like, I don't know, felt like I could fit in there rather than some stodgy corporation, right? So found the job, you know, in New York City at a tech startup where I started kind of doing marketing, but didn't really know what I was doing, um, but always kind of gravitated towards the more creative side, I think, because of that background and that deep interest. So over the years, I've held different roles uh, in marketing, mostly sort of leadership as things went on, but typically found most of our growth in those roles through content marketing as a predominant motion. So yeah, that's kind of the earlier side of things, but I think that, that that's the backstory. And you've been at Animals since August. And I know that you've started at Animals as CEO during what is a very difficult time for some 
agencies, specifically content marketing agencies. What's the latest and what's it been like working at Animals since you took over in August? Yeah, fair. Listen, I think kind of with the macro, you know, post ZERP era tech economy, right? Budgets have been cut, right? People have been laid off, myself included, um, in the last 18 months. And um, that's put a squeeze on marketing budgets and therefore on marketing agencies in addition to headcount, right? So yeah, Animals in the last 18 months did lose some of its customer base, I think, with a lot of other marketing agencies. But, you know, really grateful that in the last, I don't know, four, five, six, uh, things have started to flatten out, right? And, And look positive. We're seeing growth again month over month which is really encouraging. Some of that is just by virtue of the macro economy, right? Like tech startups kind of, you know, or just tech companies kind of finding their new baselines. Other factors are our own performance, right? I think we've actually made some changes that have put us in to more sales conversations that have, you know, helped us continue to grow our customer base again. So things are looking up. I, I feel pretty good about the outlook for 2024. You know, there's sort of a, you know, moderate case, a bullish case and and so on. And um, they all look pretty good to me. So you've been brought in as like an outside CEO. You didn't start animals. And I know you took over uh, right after a period of what seemed to be turbulence in the business. I know I read like a few things on Twitter. It seemed like there were some layoffs. Did animals go through what was like a pretty turbulent time at the start of the year before you ended up taking over? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, we call it turbulence, right? But like when we were growing really fast during the ZERP era, there was turbulence there too, one might argue, right? We just talk about it as as only with the negative. So uh, yeah, animals, again, as I mentioned, had been losing some clients like many other agencies in the beginning of this year as marketing budgets changed. And we had to downsize our team, you know, in order to accommodate that. Um, at that time, we also started using a little bit of freelance labor before we were 100% W2. And that's actually worked out really well for us, right? It's given us some flexibility to be able to scale up with growth and scale down with customers leaving and find the right talent sometimes if we don't have a specialist on a certain subject or for a certain client. So yeah, there's been some noise with the layoff. I mean, that happened in May. I think any layoff makes some noise. Um, If I'm speaking candidly, like I think anyone at the team would admit that we could have handled it a little better. I think the communication around it was not as good as it could have been. Um, And if we had a do-over, we might do it differently. But generally, like it's hard to deny that we had to make this change for the business. Um, And it's put us into a place where we have a a bright future ahead, or at least we have a future, in which case we might not have had we not made that change. So, you know, hard decisions that I think, I mean, I can hardly name a tech company that didn't do layoffs in the last 18 months. Um, so we were just a part of the same. Do you think there are too many content marketing and SEO agencies? And just there's kind of been an influx of agencies created over the last like two to three to four years. And there's just a bunch of agencies that don't deserve to exist. Would you say that's fair? I mean, deserve to exist isn't the language I might use. That sounds kind of harsh. I'm very competitive. So in one sense, I'm like, bring them on, right? Because animals has a right to win here. And in another sense, I'm like, no, there should only be one content agency and it's animals. But that's obviously not right either. Listen, I think that there are many people that have gained some expertise over content and sort of been able to do some amount of it successfully over the years. I think what's hard is doing it consistently for different clients that have different needs in this hyper uh, quick, you know, it's like we're, we're in this hyper evolving time, right? Like there are a lot of disruptions and changes happening in the space. And so to find a partner that can evolve with you, you know, there aren't so many of those. 
Um, so I think that there is like, there are different tiers of, of agencies. Some have been here a long time, like animals since 2015, some are new and a little unproven. So we'll see how it all pans out. Maybe we'll see consolidation of agencies over time. I'm not sure. You mentioned you've been winning new business and that's great. How are you winning new business? Like what has led to that since you've taken over the reins? I mean, a lot, right? Um, one, the animals brand is still very strong. Like a lot of people have worked with animals and had good experiences with it. Some folks that have even had a bit of a mixed experience in the past have been willing to give us a second shot. I think because we put out such great thought leadership for so long, um, we are an obvious premium option in the space for those that can sort of, that want to spend on high quality, you know, proven content marketing programs. Yeah, I think Animals itself has been an incredible content marketer. I remember back to like 2016, 2017, 2018, I felt like I was seeing animals everywhere through like the content that that you were creating. Um, and there must be like still, and there is um, like a pretty built in level of trust for clients who might be starting to work with animals for the first time. Does that feel right? Yeah, that brand is bringing us inbound leads every day. I'm grateful for the work that's been done for teams prior and, you know, marketers that have come through animals and help contribute to that, right? To one, the great service that we put out and two, the thought leadership we put out through our own content, uh, mainly through our blog, newsletter, podcast. The other thing I think has us winning these days, Nate, is a maniacal focus on delivering growth. I think through the ZERP era, right, when spending just became just was happening so fast, folks, and probably myself included to an extent as a marketing leader, weren't as careful measuring the ROI of their spend, right? And so I think animals in some ways got a little, we kind of grew a little fat on that too, right? And we were focused on our own internal processes and like just getting content out the door rather than making sure it was delivering a growth outcome for that customer. And so we've really taken a, a hard look in the mirror and um, changed our processes and our culture and our sales process to be better aligned to that. Um, and so I think there is some indicators that that's also helping us grow once again and bring on new clients is us focusing and having a playbook to deliver those outcomes. And right now, what we've been doing is selling a distribution first mindset, right? Or a distribution first approach to content marketing, which means like, basically, if you're just doing the distribution thing, like you're writing SEO blog posts, and they're just like keyword stuffed and like, very purposed for the distribution channel of search, um, that's going to fail on its own if the content's not great. And if you're creating great content, right, that's like well researched and like well written, that on its own doesn't do well if you're not thinking about the distribution channel and like purpose building it for that. So we've come back to really designing content for specific distribution channels that we believe are high potential for you and underutilized in order to be able to deliver those outcomes or have a, you know, a high ROI engagement. Yeah. I always hate it when like our customers say to me, like, Nate, it's just SEO content. Like, no, it's, it's, it's great content. Like we should be creating great content, whether it's like SEO content or thought leadership content or some other piece of content for some other channel. I think the bar for like content, even if it's the primary distribution channel is SEO should still be really, really high. But I want to double click on your point on ROI. I actually recently saw on LinkedIn that you mentioned that content marketers are notoriously bad at demonstrating ROI. Why is that? I think there are several reasons, right? One is the internal politics potentially of being able to measure well, 
And what I mean by that is usually in a larger organization, marketing ops or analytics sits closer to demand gen or within demand gen. And so demand gen gets to command the resources and the prioritization of what they're doing. And they make sure like their stuff is well measured. Okay. And I've been in this seat, right? Like I've had this experience of like talking to the marketing ops team or the analytics team about getting my content better measures, setting these reports. And it always seemed to come second or third on the list and never really got prioritized. I wish I pushed more at some times uh, for content to be better measured because there are ways to do it, but content marketers don't always have the resources nor the leverage. So that's one piece. I think another one is content marketers are just generally more creatively minded, right? And might put analytics as a secondary priority for them. They know is an important part of the job, but they don't always make, you know, they're not always disciplined about looking at the numbers and making decisions based on that. So that's another piece that's kind of on us. And a third is, I think it is a little, it is, it can be hard to measure, right? I think, you know, you look at Facebook ads or something like that, and you can have a pixel and you basically can directly measure your ROAS back. Um, content's not that simple, right? Because it's like, one, how do you define content? Like, is it nurture email content, you know? Or is it just the thing that you link to there? It's different in every team and it can be part of every customer journey. And then two, even so, because it's only a piece of a journey, right? You get into the whole attribution conversation and it's not always looked at as its own channel, right? So it just gets complicated and it's hard to measure in that way. It can often take a lot of time for a content channel to sit and bake and mature. And in the very beginning, like if, for example, SEO is the primary distribution channel, it can feel like we're shouting into the void and it can often be hard to communicate to other members of the org that it does take time when you're pitching clients or when you're working with your clients how do you communicate like the time effect like the lag or sometimes delay in you know seeing results while we're doing good work it's a good question i try to push back on that a little bit like i think in a pure play environment sure organic takes time like the data shows organic takes time to start ranking and then getting traffic but organic doesn't have to be the only channel that a piece is distributed through, right? So there are ways to get eyeballs on something before six months come about. And also if a customer doesn't want, they want results now, which a lot of customers in this environment do need, right? They're spending their last dollars. They don't know if they can raise again. And so they can't take a bet that's for 2025, right? They need something that's going to hit now. So... In that case, organic might not be the primary channel and I might not sell them on that. And instead it's about other opportunities for more quick hitting results. Um, while we still have an eye to something ranking over long-term through search. And repurposing content, like taking a blog post where the primary distribution channel might be organic search and repurposing it to another channel like LinkedIn or Twitter or wherever else. Is that something that you've seen working with your clients or, or something that you're working with them on lately? Oh yeah. Almost all of our engagements include some amount of social content, email, newsletter, some of that distribution, I guess the repurposed content for other distribution channels. So yeah, that might be another reason why we've been able to grow our account base lately. Yeah, it's it's one of my favorite takeaways personally from 2023. Um, I've always been like the organic search guy, let it sit and bake. Um, but we've just totally enjoyed uh, repurposing our blog posts to our newsletter and LinkedIn and Twitter and, and driving engagement that way. And um, I would say for me, like in 2023, that was a big unlock. 
um, and something that I had not worried about doing for the last eight years. Um, and I've encouraged all of our customers to to spend more time there. Can I cut you off and ask? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, like what is the ROI you've seen from doing that repurposing? What results have you seen from that? We book demos every week. We're still in a private beta at Positional. So we don't talk too much about like our product or our business on the podcast on purpose. Um, but at least like once a week, uh, we're, we're signing up a new customer to the private beta who has found us from LinkedIn or from Twitter. We'll often have sales conversations where, you know, someone might be like lurking and following for like two or three months um, before they actually like take the time to like reach out. And so we don't do like a whole lot of outbound or outbound sales. That's not like part of our business at Positional. Um, but we do try to like connect with a lot of the right ICPs and buyers on those channels. Um, and so we're trying to, we're taking the bet that like by repurposing the hopefully really awesome content we're creating to those channels, um, over time, like the people we do connect with, will start to see that content. They'll start to see us as like a trusted or intelligent voice in the space. They might then listen to our podcasts and then they might end up reading a blog post. And so we'll take our blog content, we'll repurpose it to LinkedIn. We'll take our podcast content, repurpose it to LinkedIn. We might then take the podcast and include it into the blog post. And we might link from the podcast back to other blog posts. And so we're trying to build like a spider web of connectivity between content um, on all of these different channels. And we'll, uh, we'll do demos. And if someone comes to me and they're like, Nate, I've listened to your podcast. I've read four of your blog posts. I know with like certainty that we're going to close that customer. And so like, while we're sitting and waiting for like our organic search channel to bake, like at some point I do want to have like a really big SEO channel at positional, but I know that's going to take us a number of years to do. And so we've been getting a lot of mileage out of the content that we're creating by repurposing it. And so for me, it's something I'm going to try to do twice as much of next year. Nice. Smart, right? Like it doesn't take as much to repurpose an article or an asset as it does to write the original. Uh, but yet you can get twice the results from it. So it does feel like a high, highly efficient, high ROI activity. Yeah. And a lot of times people don't have the time to read one of my like 4,000 word blog posts, or hopefully they'll listen to this entire podcast episode because I think it's going to be a good one. But a lot of times people don't have time to listen to all 55 minutes or 45 minutes. And so taking like the key excerpts and giving people something interesting that they can just latch onto quickly, um, but still engage with us and our brand, I think is like a bet we want to keep making at Positional. Sounds like a winning strategy to me. <laughs> well, I'll let you know how it goes. One thing we're not doing at Positional is using AI generated content on our website. Like call me old school. I've just been through like enough algorithm updates to be extremely paranoid as an SEO. And the other thing is like, you know, Google has said you can use AI generated content. That's totally fine. Like, sure, let's use it. But I found that like AI generated content is just not very good at saying something new or uniquely helpful. And it's very hard to add something to the internet when you're substantially creating content with AI. And so we at Positional aren't using AI generated content on our site. A lot of our customers are, and I always say to them, like, use it as just a starting point and let's not copy and paste like 2000 articles to our site tomorrow with AI. Um, and I know that your perspective has changed on this. At least I think it has. So about, you know, a month ago, you wrote that generative AI cannot replace good content marketing in its current state. And I agree with you there. But six months prior you actually wrote on LinkedIn that you were using AI generated content and it was working for 
a number of B2B SaaS companies that you were working with at the time. And I think you even mentioned it like two and a half X traffic for one of those companies. So I'd be curious to understand how your views have changed on AI generated content. It sounds like that's not currently something you're that excited about, but maybe previously you were. Would that be accurate? Yeah, totally. And um, super perceptive. So I'm really pleased that you noticed this shift and uh, excited to share it today. I don't think I've talked about this much. So here's the story, right? There are a few chapters of it. Last year, probably around this time, a little earlier, I actually hired animals for the third time. I've hired them a few times before when I was an in-house marketer to experiment with AI with me, right? So I was VP marketing at an um, SMS marketing business called Emotive. And Generative, like I think it was right when GPT 3.5, like when ChatGPT came out, I think it was right then. Maybe it was before that. It was before that. doesn't matter. Um, so we wanted to figure out how generative AI could perform for our blog. And so we probably had a domain authority of like 40 or 50 at the time. And we hadn't produced a regular cadence of blog content or SEO focused content, but we had this massive like keyword list that we wanted to hit. And so my idea was like, hey, let's experiment with the different tools that are out there. We looked at Writer, we did a bake off with Writer, Copy AI and Jasper at the time. And I think GPT, ChatGPT when it came out and wanted to see one, which tool will be best to do this thing and two, what results could we get from it? And the hypothesis was if we, really up the cadence of our output, meaning we're going to do a blog post a day. So we're doing like one a week. We moved from one a week to one a day that we could see some results from that. And the long, like the short of it is we did. So 45 days in, we saw a big step function in our search growth. Um, we saw twice as much search traffic coming in and it wasn't from a small amount, right? Like we're talking, it was from something like, I'm going to say five or 10 K a month to, you know, 10 to 50, 10 to 20. Like we it wasn't a tiny scale, but it was still early innings. And so I got really excited about this, right? And wanted to experiment further with it. So the caveat here is that we saw the growth. We didn't really see the downstream effects of it being very positive, right? We just saw the traffic grow. And so, you know, I was kind of interested in doing more of this and started going independently to a few, you know, content marketers or VPs of marketing that I was friendly with and sold this as a service. I said, hey, I can deliver high volume SEO focused blog content with AI. I've seen it work once. What do you think? Do you want to try it? And so over the first half of this year, probably worked with six or seven different SaaS businesses to do something similar. And honestly, we saw some mixed results. There were some positive signs. There were some negative signs. And it kind of left me scratching my head. Um, obviously I had to stay a little bullish on it in order to sell this thing. Right. And so, you know, we were looking for the positive signs, but eventually I sort of realized what you said, which was like, these assets aren't really building positive relationships with our, you know, our customers, target audiences. They're not adding anything net new. There's no information gain. It's not moving the conversation forward in the space. And so ultimately it didn't feel like it was great content. Um, and when we started seeing mixed results, I started getting very skeptical of it and um, have since kind of come to the same conclusion you have. And I think a lot of other content marketers had, which is it's great at solving a blank page problem. It probably makes sense at some points within the content creation workflow, but it's not really something that we can lean on entirely to create outcome delivering or growth delivering results. Does that make sense? It totally does. 
And, you know, regardless of whether it ranks or not or drives traffic or not, I think it probably would also impact like the end of the funnel conversion too. I think it'd be very hard to convert a customer from a page of AI generated content on, you know, for example, what is an SDR. And to my point earlier about like repurposing content and wanting to like build a brand of having interesting things to say, I I would find that it's quite hard to say interesting things at scale with AI generated content. And even if we were to drive traffic to our site, maybe we're not building like the same level of trust or ultimately convincing that potential customer to want to work with us. That's at least something I've been thinking about. Uh, Do you have any thoughts there? No, I think you're 100% right. I think what's interesting now, though, Nate, is to think about, all right, most content marketers are coalescing around this, right? That like, it's only so helpful. So, so what is it good at, right? Like, can it help us create kinds of content that we haven't created before? Can it help us in our distribution workflows? You know, in where else, you know, can it be really helpful? And maybe in the research phase to some extent. So we're toying around with that in animals. Um, but have moved away from, and Animals did for a while actually sell a high growth SEO plan that was basically the thing that we built at Emotive, right? The like blog post a day with generative as the engine. We stopped selling that, you know, a lot of those customers kind of saw mixed results and also decided to move away from it. So who knows, you know, that's what 2024 is going to be all about. I talk with a lot of content marketing teams each week, um, a lot of our customers, and it seems like they've been pressured to use AI generated content from the top down. Like there's some exec or VP saying like, we need to be using AI generated content. Like you're only writing two posts a week. Like you could be writing like seven posts a week if you're using AI. And they ask me like, what do I say to my VP? And I'm like, I have no idea. Like, what would you say to like the top down management that might be like pushing AI generated content at scale on what is already today a pretty effective content marketing team? It's so hard. I empathize with anyone that's had that push down on them because I've seen it happen. And originally I got excited, right? Like, yeah, let's try that, you know? Um, and that could be a fair response, but like, truthfully, a lot of C, like a lot of C levels are laying off their content marketing teams because they think AI can do this job. And on the surface level, it can, right? Like you can spit out a blog post on a certain thing that like looks pretty good, but to the finely trained eye, right? To the experts, the content marketers out there, this shit ain't going to cut it. You know, it's not going to build your relationship with your audience. It's not going to get you a sale. Right. And so I think there is some explaining to do of like, you know, I got excited. I thought the same thing, right? I tried it and kind of here's where I ended up speaking from personal experience and helping educate an executive level on why it doesn't work or like why it only works in certain ways. Um, is probably the right approach. I think just speaking from firsthand experience, like I would do that. I'm looking to produce some data too around the AI customers that we did this service for to use that as a benchmark against our normal customers to help other content marketers have ammo, right? To say, hey, listen, like here's an experiment animals ran and like the results were mixed or they were so-so. So I feel like I owe the community that report. Maybe I'll write that down in my notebook and follow up on it soon been on the back burner. We'd love to see it and include it in our weekly newsletter. And at Animals, you've created a lot of content. You are creating a lot of content. What is the cost of creating content right now? Well, how much you got? 
All right. So maybe I'll preface this with another statement and then you can respond. Um, I've seen people joke on like Twitter and LinkedIn that like, oh, like content marketers will get paid less because of all of these AI writing tools that now exist. But I have not seen that personally. Like we've started like to scale up our freelance writing motion at positional. And it seems like the cost of high quality content has only gone up. I actually have not seen any sort of a drop per like article that you know I don't pay by the word that's not typically how I operate but I have not seen like a drop in the costs of content but as far as my budget I, I don't know like I'm a series A company I've just raised like 12 million bucks uh, you know I'm pretty serious about this channel I need support I need a, an agency like animals to help me do it because I don't have that expertise internally and I want you guys to like own like the content creation engine like start to finish like how much does that article cost the way I think about it, honestly, like if you were a real prospect, which maybe you are, um, it, it, there's kind of two ways to go about it. One is like, hey, what's the outcome that you're looking to achieve next year? You're trying to double your traffic or you're trying to grow at 10% month over month, right? And then we kind of work backwards to say, well, what's, what's required, right? How much content do we have to put, do we have to be putting out through what channels in order to achieve that growth? And then it's like, okay, and how much does that cost? And we can kind of look at it on a per unit basis, such as we know we need five articles a month and like six social posts or whatever it is, right? And I can kind of just do the math out. And then the other way to go about it is like, you have 5K, 10K a month to spend on content. Um, how should you spend it, right? And um, that's more like, all right, what can we do with that to try and achieve this 10% month over month goal? You've answered this question without answering it in a much better way that I've actually asked this question um, because I'll always come back to our customers when they ask me like, Nate, what should I pay for a piece of content? And I'll say to them like, don't focus on the cost of that single piece, like focus on like the cost of that end result you want to get to. Like if it's going to require, you know, $200,000 worth of content to build a blog that gets 200,000 visitors a month from organic search, like, like I done pretty recently, I would say that that's worth it. Like looking back, because now we have this like really durable, like high quality asset that we invested $200,000 into that's still delivering 200,000 visitors a month, kind of each month over and over again. And so I don't have a question here, but I, I think you've responded to my question in a much better way than I asked it. Yeah. And just to take it one step further, it's about how will this investment perform versus all the other possible investments you can make right now? Right. So it's like it comes down to CAC to LTV, right? Or LTV to CAC. I always get it backwards. Or an ROI multiple, right? So, like if you're shooting for 3x ROI or you're shooting for three to one CAC to LTV to CAC, how do you think the content program will pan against that investment, right? Because if you're at five to one, you know, you're going to spend as much as you can in this thing. Or maybe it's actually really inefficient. Your audience just isn't receptive to it or something about it's not working. So you should put your money elsewhere, partnerships, paid spend, who knows what else. Yeah, I've actually never looked at content as like CAC, at least in my businesses, because I see it more as like building an asset. Like we are building, we're building equity in the business. Like this content, you know, if we're creating awesome pieces that will have a long shelf life, like it almost doesn't make sense to realize that CAC in like three months or this quarter, like it, it feels more to me as like a, a balance sheet item, but I, I imagine like that's not the correct accounting way to do it. Yeah, Nate, I think you're biased, right? As someone that's building a content focused business, right? Like for you, it's table stakes, I think, as part of the brand, right? In a sense, like the content that you're creating is almost part of the product. I don't know. I think for most 
marketers, they should look at it that way. And for content marketers, they should help their CMOs look at it that way. At AppCues, that's the way I looked at things. And that's why we kept doubling down on content marketing is because it just had the best LTV to CAC or the efficiency and spend than all my other investments, right? So events or paid, every time I looked at the ratios there, I just kept doubling down on content because it was just the most efficient thing. Um, and of course we tried to get, like I was willing to almost lose a little bit in the other channels so that we could have additional channels to invest in over time, right? And reach more people and therefore grow further. But man, I could almost not spend enough in content to get it to go down in that ratio, right? So that it felt like, okay, we hit a saturation point or something. So that's that's how I like to look at things. Yeah, I think I'm biased with the product we're building, but also like my career, you know, like I've, I've it's the only channel I've ever been able to figure out how to make work. So I've never been like that good at like AdWords or partnerships or social ads, um, whatever it might be. Um, so I think I'm biased in that sense. And I look back at like a website I built you know, starting about 10 years ago where, you know, we invested like so much work and uh, so much time and money into building it over the course of about seven years. And like the new ownership hasn't really done anything to it. And it's still driving like significant amounts of traffic. And so that's kind of the lens that, that I come at that statement from. Yeah, totally. And I hope for you one day, you'll have a marketer that can also look at other channels, right? And help build the business through all these other you know, great places uh, uh, to grow. I actually tweeted about this lately. Um, I, I actually mentioned that that was like a huge mistake we made uh, at our first company it was that we just like fell in love with content SEO and then like six years in couldn't figure out how to make anything else work from like a, a CAC standpoint. And so one of the things we're working on at Positional is like very, very actively trying to find other channels we can make work early on in our business instead of getting like six years in and being like totally stuck with just one channel. Yeah. Can I give you unsolicited advice on it? Yeah, I would love that. It's like find the adjacent channels in a way, right? So if content works, right, you can use the pay channel to like use the content muscle that you have that could still be core to your marketing to, you know, to make it go further and like distribute to other folks or like what else is adjacent to content? What else could strengthen like your content flywheel? Maybe it's community, right? Building a community there. And how do you engage the community? Well, with content, you know? So like, look at the adjacents. Don't like try to reinvent it all. It's like, it's almost a way to double down on the content thing. You know what I mean? Without spending directly in that channel, if we can call it a channel. I love that. Thank you for the advice. But I have to ask, SGE. Like, I know you have some interesting perspectives on SGE and how it could change the way, you know, people find content or content marketers do their job. Like, what do you think? Yeah, I've... um had the privilege, I guess, of being in the SGE beta. I think, are we all in SGE now? It's like half my browser windows have it, half don't. So my take has been like, yo, I don't think it's changed my search habits, you know? I think it's like answer boxes, but like a little more annoying, but maybe sometimes helpful. So if I can unpack that a little, I don't really read them. Like I, I scroll over it and I can't figure out if that's because my search habits are so deeply ingrained, like my neural pathways of like how I use Google are just deep and strong, or if it's because it's actually not that helpful to me. I haven't figured that out yet, uh, but I can tell you that like, it's a rare query that I spend looking at the SGE. And it could be that I'm just kind of curious about what it's doing too. And that's why I'm paying attention to it. But I don't think I'm, I'm still clicking on stuff. How about you? I'm scrolling past them. And my mom, I love her. She reshares all my LinkedIn posts, but I just do not see a world where like my mom is interacting with like an SGE box. 
to have a conversation with it. So I, I'm just like extremely skeptical that Google actually wants to roll this out. I'm very biased in saying that, um, but I also don't think it's like the end of the world if they do. Um, I think there's always going to be a place to like distribute helpful content, like maybe the UX UI changes. But I think it's clear to me that even if SG does roll out to search everywhere, like Google still does want to send traffic to publishers. You know, Danny Sullivan at the Brighton SEO conference, like made a point to say that over and over again, that like if SGE does, if that was the big statement and kind of what he said does roll out everywhere, like Google is not going to remove traffic from publishers because they know that like rewarding publishers with traffic means that publishers can create more fantastic content. And ultimately that's like a win-win for searchers who they care most about. He said one other thing that I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, he, he kept saying that SGE was an experiment. And I don't know, like, do you think SGE will actually roll out everywhere next year? Like, they're pretty far into it now if they're going to roll it back. And But I, ag I agree with your general sentiment on this. I think it's an important part of Google's business model, and they're not going to, like, mess with the most powerful business model in the history of civilization, right? But I also think that the trend over time has been towards fewer and fewer clicks, right? Yeah. And so I think... I think it's true that like year over year, we'll probably see fewer and fewer clicks from these updates. And, and so this to me is just the next evolution to kind of after answer boxes. And I think like certain keywords are going to be disrupted a lot faster. I tend to be in the camp that uh, longer tail keywords are actually going to become like a lot more valuable in a universe where like SGE is rolled out everywhere. Because if we're searching for like a head term like dogs, <laughs> like maybe SGE can actually prompt us to go somewhere. Whereas if we have like a very specific, like in the weeds query, and for example, like a, a heavy B2B SaaS space, like, you know, an SGE box, like just can't help someone like properly debug like a Kubernetes crash loop back off. And so I think like certain keywords just, I don't know that they'll ever be disrupted if we're tackling like very specific, very long tail very like nuanced topics. That's another opinion. I'm, I, I'm just shouting my opinions on this episode. But what do you think about that? I think I'm with you. It made me want to ask the question of how much better does generative AI have to be to disrupt those kinds of queries? Twice as good? 10 times as good? Because if it's twice as good, like that will probably happen. Like I feel like we will get there. Uh, you know, if it needs to be 10 times as good, Maybe us SEOs are safe, safer. I just got to make it through like the next 10 years and then we'll see what happens. Maybe a little bit longer. I don't know. Maybe I'll figure out how to do AdWords in that time. So it's almost 2024. Uh, do you have like one or two big predictions for the year ahead for content marketers or for SEO as a whole? I think it's going to be an exciting year. At Animals, we're betting on the continual diversification of content in a strategy, right? So less focus on just the SEO content and really hitting up other distribution channels and being smart about repurposing. Um, we're also betting on measuring content ROI and performance more closely. And I think those two things will continue to grow next year. I think the measurement part will get some help from certain tools, thinking about you guys, so that folks can get sharper about performance, growth, ROI, and hopefully then, you know, keep their jobs longer, right? Like please their CMOs and their execs, uh, maybe get, you know, argue to get more investment in these programs uh, that they probably deserve. This has been such a fun episode. I've, I've really enjoyed this. If it's okay with you, are you okay with going to a lightning fire round? Let's fire. Blog posts 
Are they getting longer or shorter? Going longer. Ebooks, are they still worth doing? Yes, depending on the audience. Boomers are still working, you know? <laughs> content repurposing. Is there like a channel that you've just really loved repurposing content to lately? Newsletters and email. Is there a certain metric we should be tracking when it comes to the health of our newsletter? Subscriber growth. Ty, this has been such a fun episode. Thank you so much for coming on the Optimize podcast. We will include a backlink to the animal site in the show notes, as well as to a couple of those LinkedIn posts uh, of yours that I mentioned. And I'd encourage all of our listeners to go and follow Ty on LinkedIn and Twitter and wherever else. And we will include those profiles too. But is there anything else you'd like to say to our listeners? Let's have a big year next year, y'all. Content Marketing 2024, it's our year. This episode of the Optimize Podcast is brought to you by a special sponsor. If you're anything like me, you've probably got a lot of content that's not very well optimized and it can be a total pain in your butt to optimize it and ultimately get it to rank better in search. And that's what positional does. Positional has an incredible tool set for everything from content optimization to technical SEO and planning your editorial calendar. And if you don't know by now, I'm one of the co-founders of Positional and I'd love for you to check it out. Mm -hmm.